Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast here on the Raised with Jesus Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and I am here with my co-host, Zephyr. Our guest today is Pastor John Borgwart, and we are happy to have him. Uh, welcome, Pastor Borgwart. Great to be here. So John serves with me on the Southeastern Wisconsin District Mission Board. Uh, I also uh, played soccer with him for three years at Northwestern College. And so you know John a little bit. So John, tell us about your ministry in Nebraska, where you were and what that was like before we talk about where you've been recently. Okay. Um, first of all, just clarifying the, the soccer, playing soccer with Mike. Um, Mike knew how to play soccer. They just needed warm bodies to fill in the halfbacks. And so I had no skills, but I could run. And that's, you could run. That either. And you were solid. You and your brother James were solid, even though you're smaller, you're a little taller than I am. Uh, but you guys were solid. And, uh, you know, if you didn't have a whole lot of skill and, I, and I, you know, my daughters now, they say, come on, dad, I know your two moves. And my two moves is go fast and then fake left and then go right and go fast. And it's the same moves I had when I was in college, but I was a lot faster back then. Yeah. My, my one move was go fast and then kick it out of bounds. <laughs> so I'm glad that you brought that up also, because uh, I was uh, privileged to attend the uh, anniversary service of uh, Michael Zarling's 25 years in the ministry and uh, his friend preached for that. And the intro to his sermon was about how it was at Northwestern College that he happened to be wandering around and didn't have anything better to do. So he went and uh, watched a soccer game. And he said that there was this one short player on the team who kept getting knocked down into the grass and uh, all scuffled up with dirt. And, uh, but he, always, he would always get back up and keep on running. Uh, is that a, a pretty accurate description of Michael Zarling? Absolutely a good description. Yeah. I don't think you ever really got really angry with anyone, Mike. You just had this smile on your face of euphoria as you're picking the ball and running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, there was only one time I remember in four years getting mad, and that was when someone was slide tackling me because I was always the one that wanted to slide tackle everyone else. So I didn't really enjoy it when the other guy did it. And especially because he did it late and uh, that, that really was, that stunk. So uh, that was, that was Thad Bitter that preached for my 25th anniversary. So, you know, Thad. Oh yeah. Yep. So what was ministry no, I, like? I actually in, am oh. interested. Yeah, no, no, I, <laughs> I was interested in uh, Nebraska where you were because I, I just, before I came to Shoreland, I was in the Nebraska district at Salina, Kansas. So where were you in Nebraska? Yeah, Salina, I, I know it well. Um, I was in Kearney, Nebraska, which uh, looks like Kearney, but it's Kearney. And so if you're going west on I-80, you get Omaha and then Lincoln and then Grand Island and then Kearney and then North Platte. So um, geographically, it's kind of kind of neat because it's right along the North Platte River and, or the Platte River, I should say. And uh, we have a bunch of sandhill cranes up in Wisconsin now that I didn't, I don't remember seeing when I was growing up, uh, but there are nesting grounds down there along the Platte. 
And I mean, you could look up when they're nesting and there's tens of thousands of sandhill cranes in the sky. It's just, it is crazy. Um, just beautiful. But, um, but yeah, I guess the, uh, love the people out there because it's just, I don't know, it's flyover country. And honestly, um, they're okay with that. Um, because if you want to fly over Nebraska, you don't want to have anything to do with it. They're okay with you flying over Nebraska. Um, and they'll just do their thing and you do your thing. And, um, in fact, I have a, a t-shirt that says, uh, Nebraska, honestly, it's not for everyone. That's, that's, <laughs> what's, on, that's what's on the shirt. This is great. Uh, congregation was, I think we had a little over a hundred members, uh, give or take whatever year. And it was kind of tough, uh, sledding just because we had a, a, a WEF unit. If anyone knows what a WEF unit is, you know, how, how tough going that is. It's worship education fellowship is what that stands for. And but so, but it really wasn't built for any one of those things, right? <laughs> right. Not well for anyone is it, it was in fact, um, I, I measured it on the outside um, and it was 45 feet by 55 feet on the outside. That includes everything, right? So it's less than 2,500 square feet for everything that you wanted to do. Um, and, uh, and I guess maybe the best story about that is as I was knocking on my neighbor's doors, just introducing myself and seeing if anybody was unchurched and uh, seeing if they wanted to check out our church, Good Shepherd, um, knocked on the door of a man who lived directly across the street from the church. So he opens up his door, his front door, and the only building that's there is the church uh, and the parking lot between that, right? So so I said, yeah, so hi, my name is John Borgward. I'm the new uh, pastor at the Lutheran Church right across the street. And he said, there's a Lutheran church across the street? Where? I'm like, it's, yeah, it's, it's right there. It's like, no kidding. That's a church. Huh. <laughs> so, so that was nice. They kind of told me, okay, I got a little bit of work to do here. But, uh, but they, uh, they ended up building a, a beautiful facility after I had left. And um, yeah, and the Lord's blessing them in that new facility. And um haven't kept real close ties with with them out there, but I know they're still preaching the gospel. So, and that's that's a good thing. Now, could you give us the dimensions of that WEF unit in cubits? <laughs> well, since a cubit is one and a half feet, uh, it would be thirty by forty. Thirty by forty <laughs> cubits. It, it wouldn't. In other words, it wouldn't make a good ark to hold all the animals of the world. No. Not at all. And it would probably sink. But yeah. it probably didn't make a very really it probably didn't make a very good holy place either, like the tabernacle or temple. It's a little right. a little small. So then what yeah. about your place that you built in in Waukesha? Because you've been there for what, 18 years, I think. Yeah, I've been there uh been there 20 years now, but uh but we were 18 years in a gymnasium. So I think what the Lord was teaching me among other things, you know, the first, you know, five and a half years that you're in the ministry, you're, uh, first of all, you just, you thank God's people for listening to those awful sermons that you kind of cut your teeth on when you're in the ministry for the first time. Um, and, 
and you learn your theology a little bit better and um, you learn how to be a pastor. But I think one of the one of the biggest lessons I learned was what not to build. And so um, it I think it used to be the case where if you build it, they will come and and you just throw something together and you're going to find a bunch of people who are going to come. Uh, people don't just come to churches anymore. In fact, uh, there has to be a good reason for them to come these days, I think, uh, especially since COVID. So, uh, so we took our time and we wanted to be in a very visible location where there'd be traffic going past the front door all the time. And so we located our building. We bought land right across from Waukesha West High School. Uh, the, it's the newest high school in Waukesha. And so there's hundreds of people driving past every single day and they know exactly who we are. Um, and then when we built uh, the church, it, it doesn't look like a church. In fact, as it was going up, uh, you know, we have a, a number of garage doors because it's kind of a more of a modern style building with a coffee shop in it. And uh, somebody thought that it, that they thought they were building a Jiffy Lube, <laughs> which I thought was, and then I was thinking, boy, that's, you know, I wonder how many Jiffy Lube Lutheran churches there are in, uh, in the Synod. Probably not many, um, but, but no, we, we kept Living Word. It's a good, it's a good name for the church. And uh, we've had a lot of people come and visit and a number of them have stayed and become members. And uh, it's, it's doing what we had hoped it would do which is uh, be something, you know, not just a church, but actually a community center also, or a ministry center. And so we rent it out. If people want to give a donation, they can. Uh, Waukesha football, Waukesha West football team has used it probably a good dozen times. Uh, the lacrosse team uh, had a Hindu family that, that used it for their one-year-old's birthday party. So that was, that was kind of neat. So, and then you're just rubbing shoulders with people and then, and then you, uh, Hopefully you get to know them well enough so you have enough credibility to share the gospel with them is the idea. Yeah, so we were blessed last month. We had our district mission board meeting. We try and do our uh, our fall meeting on site of a mission church or with one of our missionaries. And so we were up in Waukesha, which is around the Milwaukee area. And so we were there. And what was interesting was what John was talking about, the intentionality of the building, that there aren't any steps. It's all laid out in one place, one floor, so that you can intentionally come in the front door and there's the big coffee shop, uh, very fancy with fancy coffees and cappuccino and things like that. And then you go to the right and there's the sanctuary and you can see into the sanctuary with glass partition uh, to the left, you can go to the bathrooms, John's office. There's also rooms there for, you know, I guess, uh, entertainment room with video game and uh, ping pong, which the other pastors lost at, by the way, and then pool and so forth. And then, you know, that big fellowship area you were talking about where that that evening was the football game and they were, the football team was going to come across and then use that area. And you also purposely built another area for uh, counseling where this, the people can come in from a, a separate doorway so they don't have to come in the sanctuary. But I think one of the, all of that is very intentional, like you mentioned. But then also what was interesting is 
in front of the church facing the, the road. And on the other side of the road is the high school. You've got a fire pit. So if you want to explain some of those things, why you built that church specifically like that with the fire pit and, and so forth, because you're right. I think a lot of people, uh, pastors too, can think, well, the church is here, you know, and we have a lot of come ministries as opposed to go ministries. And even the come ministries aren't intentional. Yours are very intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, we, we wanted to put a fire pit out there because, uh, first of all, we wanted to, to have people see us when we would watch football games from our back patio, which actually from the road, it really looks like the front front door of the church. I mean, because that's what they see first, right? And uh, it's kind of fun because the home stands face the road, which means just right across the road, that's the church. And so if we have our fire pit on, it's a gas fire pit, um, and uh, we're just there having some fellowship, maybe having a beer or two, just uh, enjoying each other's company. But we can actually see the football game from there also. And uh, just about everybody from the football team uh, kept saying, man, you know, when it gets really cold, we look across there, we can see that fire pit going. And we're like, man, do I want to be over there? <laughs> so, so it's having, I mean, so they're seeing us and, uh, and they're seeing us be, you know, cheering on the team and, and things like that. So it's, it's very positive. It's just very positive. We hope you said that's the, that's the high school team. That's right. And I, I just wanted to point out that if, uh, the Zarling family needs to make any extra money that uh, it sounds like you could hire a tour guide. Uh, yeah, I think he knows it better than I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do like church architecture, even though I know nothing about it, but just that intentionality I think is very important as opposed to a church that, you know, it just gets added on little by little over time. And it looks like it because, people didn't think of certain things when it was built. Uh, just even a little thing. I think of this all the time when in our friendship room, where I often do our Bible study in our fellowship area on Wednesday nights, that it was redone, but it was specifically built that we knew the TV was going to be there. And then in the wall is, is the HDMI cable. It sounds like such a little thing, but in the old days, we didn't do that. You had an outlet and you've got cords running all over the place and it looks like that and so to build a church like you like you did two years ago so that everything is intentional the way you want it yeah the lord's been blessing us um a lot of times uh well i guess i look at it this way you know after 18 years of being in a gym and having this vision of what the building could be um there was there was a bit of angst going into the new building of thinking well what if this what if this doesn't work what if god doesn't bless this and then all of our plans you know just didn't didn't do it you know um and uh yeah there's a lot of prayers Uh, i think anybody who builds their first sanctuary their first building there's all kinds of prayers of you know that the lord would bless it in his time and in his way and uh and he has been so it's um it's been great well, I'm going to ask you, oh, I was going to ask you, John, about worship in a gym, but first I'm going to ask Jeremy about worship in a gym because you have to worship in a gym every day for chapel, right? So mm-hmm. how, how does, Jeremy, how does that work with, with the high school? I know Sherlyn is talking about some building projects 
I don't know if a, a chapel and auditorium are part of those plans, but why, Jeremy, first, why why would we want to get out of a gym situation for a better worship space for the high school? And the same thing then for you, John, of why your people were so excited to get out of a gym and go to a, a new building. I, th I think it, it a couple of things come to mind. Uh, one of them is what you were saying before about the HDMI being built into the wall and not having a lot of cables running all over the place. Um, there's some complexity, unnecessary complexity with um, like the audiovisual aspects of it. Uh, you've got a sound system that is intended for um, announcing sporting events, and that's a different kind of a sound system than you would want for um, public speaking and uh, leading of worship and oration and music. Um, it, it is... Uh, you know, you've got somebody drops their phone or drops something large item. Uh, it, I suppose at a church with good acoustics, that would kind of bounce around a little bit too. But when it bounces on a bleacher or, you know, a, a floor of, of, of bleachers, it, it's a lot more racket and um, people moving up and it, crowding. And, and uh, it's not it's not at all handicapped accessible if you are. Um, it, it, if it's not so much for people who are handicapped, but people who have a little more trouble, like older faculty members, but they still need to sit with their students to keep them in line, uh, get them to walk all the way up the bleachers is, is not good. It's, it's just, it's not built for focus on a small group or a speaker all by himself or, uh, that kind of scenario. It's just, it's just not. It's not good. And I think everybody realizes that. I think it's more a matter of that there's nobody who's saying, yes, this is good. Let's keep worshiping in a gym. Uh, it's more a matter of um, this is all we've got for now. Yeah. Or even even I, I've done enough chapels at Shoreland over 18 years that, yeah, you're facing the pews. Uh, it'd be the, the bleachers and you're close enough to the people, which is good. But there's nothing behind you. You've got three quarters of the gym behind you. And, and just that not having a backdrop, even with the cross stained glass windows, all of that kind of thing. So what about you, John, with what, what did your peer people experience? Maybe explain to our listeners who are used to just coming and sitting in a church every Sunday and getting up and leaving and going home, what the difference was for your people every Sunday. Yeah. For 18 years, we would have to get there you know, an hour earlier and roll everything out of the storage area and set it all up. And that's, that's all equipment and, and everything else, you know, so all of the stuff we owned, I mean, the wear and tear of doing that, especially the electronics uh, was not good. Uh, so we had to basically set aside some money when we got into the new building of making sure we had some, some good stuff. Um, but, you know, eventually that just gets to take its toll on, on your people. And uh, so we had to try to instill the idea that, okay, when you're coming to worship, uh, you're there to serve others, not just to be fed. Um, and, you know, there are some times when, boy, that's all, you, that's all you can even think of is I've been going through just such a rough day or week or year or whatever. I just need to get filled with the gospel here. But, um, but being in a, 
in a place where there's got to be set up and take down and everything else, there's there's always room to serve each other. And so that was a, that was a positive. Uh, at the same time, uh, I don't know how many conversations I had with people who just simply would not commit to joining Living Word. They would visit from time to time, but you know, cold hard chairs are not all that welcoming. And um, and some just flat out said, nope, we're not going to join a church that's in a gym. And that was it. You know, and, and you'd like to say, well, that's kind of an unspiritual reason not to not to join a church. But um, but I guess you try to take as many reasons out of the way. Uh, as you can, you know, and so eventually you just got to get out of the gym and have something that's more worshipful. Yeah, yeah. When you were talking about that, I was reminding uh, I was being reminded of my time down in a storefront eight years down in Radcliffe, Kentucky. Now we had a permanent place and so we didn't have to set up and take down, but it was still folding chairs. It was all the church furniture was used that we had gotten from other, another church when they got their new stuff. It was hand-me-downs and, and the outside, it was next to a pawn shop and just the whole idea of being in a storefront, it, it, conveyed that we weren't permanent and we wanted people to have a permanent relationship to Christ. And yet they weren't sure because we were like any other storefront in town, any of these stores, they could be gone one moment. And that that's just kind of what you convey of being in a storefront sometimes of the church. And it can be that way when you're in a school or any other a coffee shop or whatever. And I could, I could add one other thing is the thing that really got us to to build and we were going to build anyway but i think in 2018 the school district plopped this huge dumpster right outside the front door of the school for the entire summer and nothing says welcome to living word lutheran church like a big huge dumpster <laughs> you know i mean it's like okay it's time to build let's go <laughs> so there you go jeremy should we get into the gospel lesson sure the gospel uh, that we'll study today is Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. Here Jesus is delivering a dialogue and he says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Be like people waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Blessed are those servants whom the master will find watching when he comes. Amen, I tell you. He will dress himself and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. Even if he comes in the second or third watch, they will be blessed if he finds them alert. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you are not expecting him. John, what does Jesus mean when he says he wants his service, his servants dressed, ready for service with their lamps burning? Yeah, dressed and ready for service. It's uh, I was just kind of looking up that that phrase, and I think in the King James it says, um, "having your your loins girded." So that uh, maybe there's not a whole lot of people understand what that means, but um, it's talking about. Uh, you know, if you're wearing a robe back in the day, whether Old Testament or, or New Testament times, uh, you're not really ready to start running. 
And so you gotta, you gotta tuck your robe into your belt and then you're ready to, to go, to move, to serve, to do whatever, I suppose, right? Um, and so that's kind of a, it's kind of a, a good illustration. Um, and we're ready, right? You know, be dressed, ready for service, keep your lamps burning. Um, well, we're not the ones who dress ourselves, right? And in fact, there's even a passive idea there, be dressed. And that's talking about the righteousness we have in Christ through faith. Um, and that's what makes us ready for Jesus' return. Um, and frankly, when, when we have that faith, it's going to be showing itself in works of service, not only to God, but to others. And that's, that's really what that's talking about. I had written a children's devotion uh, for heart imprints based on this text. And I tried explaining it to the children. Like if, uh, you know, imagine it's this time of the year and it's cold and then the power goes out and the water backs up in the basement because of a storm and dad goes down to get something and checking anything. And then the water's coming up. And so uh, he calls up, that you need to go get dressed and hopefully you can, you know, where the flashlight is, it's working. And then, you know, where your old clothes are and your boots so you can get them on and you're ready to go instead of goofing around and, and the flashlight's dead. You don't know where it is that uh, you'd have no idea where your clothes are and so forth. And that's what Jesus is saying. We're, we got to be ready. So Jeremy, how do you as, let's say as a youth minister, and then, John, you can answer this as a pastor. How do you keep the Christians that you're ministering to uh, dressed and ready and active for service? The first thing that comes to mind is, uh, and this is going to sound kind of, I suppose there's a way in which this could sound arrogant, but I was, I was thinking about maybe sometimes my best option is to lead by example because a lot of times, the reason I say that is a lot of times when I try to uh, give direct orders of this is what you should do, or this is how you should uh, arrange your life so that you're dressed and ready for service, um, maybe people will be polite and say, uh, oh, yeah, it, well, that sounds like a good idea, but uh, I don't think they necessarily take it seriously uh, or they'll, they'll just sort of say, yeah, yeah. Tell us something we don't know because they think they've heard it before. Uh, but I think more so if hopefully uh, a lot of the things that I've received over the years from uh, Christian education and Lutheran schools and being raised in a believing family, uh, hopefully a lot of these things are on autopilot. And um, if I, uh, if, if I can demonstrate it by, just doing what comes naturally to me in my sanctified self, then uh, that, that often I think makes a bigger impact than uh, telling people to do this or that with directives. So instead of telling them to do it, they're watching you do it. Right? Ho hopefully. I yeah, yeah I, I've probably given myself too much credit there, but uh, I think that is a lot more effective. At least when I hear later on, people say, things about what they observed. I was like, oh, I wasn't even trying to get you to change your habits, but I'm glad that worked. How about you, John? What do you do with your, the people in your congregation? Well, you know, honestly, it's uh, it really, it just comes down to 
continuing to let them know what Christ has done for them. Because, uh, you know, you have everybody coming to church, for instance, uh, you know, with whatever happened in the past week, and it could have been, you know, a, a new cancer diagnosis, or it could have been, um, you know, a rebellious child that they're dealing with, or um, maybe they're slipping into depression, or who knows, I mean, just all kinds of things. And, uh, and really what they need to hear is that there's someone who loves them in spite of their life not really going very well. And the one thing that, that did go well is that God loved them so much that he sent his son who paid for their sins and they are dressed in his righteousness. And, and now really they're ready to face whatever, whatever comes. It uh, doesn't mean their life's going to be fun. Uh, in fact, it be, could be downright miserable, but you could still have joy in facing it because you know that you're right with the Lord. And then he's going to give you opportunities um, to put that faith into practice. So last night I went to the Green Bay Packers football game and, uh, you know, being a pastor, I don't hear the words in church and school like I hear at the football game. I, I had to kind of wipe some of the blood out of my ears from all the, the cursing and so forth. And yet during a, a quiet time in the game, like probably a timeout, uh, I overheard the guy that was behind me talking to someone else. He, he was lamenting the fact that he had uh, gotten rid of his 12 suits from work. He was just saying that, you know, he said, I, I just really feel you have to dress for success. And it was interesting hearing this guy, probably, I think it was around my age, but just uh, sad that uh, he had gotten rid of all these nice dress suits. I imagine like a dozen of them, he said that he, fe he felt like, you dress the way you want to be. You know, if you're going to be successful, you dress that way. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. You, you dress and you're ready to go to work. If you, if you put on, you know, uh, the other day I was at home work, oh, last Friday, I was working on something in, in the house. And so I just had jeans on, but I wasn't going to go in jeans and hiking boots and a t-shirt to go make an evangelism call. You know, I, I went and I, I changed and I told one of my members that from Bible station, she said, well, you can show up like you're a real person. That's fine. I said, yeah, I don't want to be, a, I am a real person, but I want them to be impressed that I'm, I'm a pastor and I, I'm not going to go there in a jeans and a t-shirt because I want them to see me as professional. Jesus wants us to see us as professional Christians of, you know, I would encourage my people, you know, you got to be in church. Uh, and not, not, I just had this conversation with some pastors recently that sadly that a lot of Christians have starting to think that regular worship is now once a month, maybe twice a month, not every single Sunday. And so, you know, encouraging them to be there every single Sunday and, and not, and not uh, satisfying themselves with online worship, you know, being there present then supplementing that with Bible study at church, small group Bible study, uh, reading the Bible on their own with their family, listening to these podcasts, reading all kinds of devotions, all those kinds of things. Because then when you're called on to give a Christian witness to someone at work, uh, you're called on to pray with your, uh, with your family in the hospital, you're called upon to deal with a, a tragedy in your family, you're ready. 
Jeremy, what is Jesus picturing with the master at the table waiting on his faithful servants? I'm glad that you are drawing attention to this because I actually remember in my confirmation Bible that I still use, it's, it's NIV. Uh, it's a, a self-study Bible. Uh, it's on my desk right now at, in my classroom and I use it for my personal devotional life. And I can, to this day, remember a note that I wrote in there as I was, I was doing some kind of a devotional program. I think I was reading through the Bible backwards. I was like starting with revelation and uh, working my way. And it was about at this point in Luke's gospel that I read that, and I'm sure I'd heard it before, but it was one of those neat moments where uh, it was kind of like, whoa, I somehow don't remember this being in the Bible before. And I wrote unfathomable by this verse, because what is being described here is this is the, this is the uh, uh, boss who is making himself, he's, He's coming home and he should be the one that's expecting to get waited on. Uh, he should be the one expecting to get served the meal and have somebody else rub his shoulders or give him a foot massage and uh, clean him up. And he says, well, no, even though I'm the boss, I'm going to serve my servants. I'm going to take care of them. And that's exactly what Christ does for us. Even though he is Lord and we, we should call him the king, uh, he treats us like royalty and, and pampers us. And isn't that, that that picture language of, I think, a lot of American Christians' favorite psalm, you know, 23rd psalm of at the end, that we are the invited guests at Jesus' banquet feast, that he's serving us who are the servants. He is both host and meal, just like at the sacrament. You prepare a, you prepare a table before me. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to get your meal ready. You, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Yeah. John, in what sense is Jesus' second coming like a thief in the night? And what can we as Christians do to be prepared when, for when he comes? So that it's, it's kind of an interesting picture because uh, you normally wouldn't picture Jesus as a thief, you know. Um, and yet he uses that picture actually quite often in a number of different ways. Um, in, this, in this circumstance, um, well, I just think of it in regular regular life, right? If there's a thief out there that's going to be uh, trying to steal stuff from your house, you got to make sure that um, either if you know he's coming, well, then you're going to be awake so that he's not going to be able to get in. Um, but what thief is ever going to tell you, oh, I'm going to be coming at, you know, 1235, you know, you're going to be sleeping, but it's okay. I'm just going to take a few things and, and then I'll be gone. Um, maybe, or maybe I might hurt you while I'm in there. You know, I mean, what thief does that? So the point is, you never know when a thief might come. So you have to be ready. So, so it's unexpected, right? So Jesus as the thief in the night. It's unexpected. In fact, uh, he clearly says that nobody knows that day or hour, not the angels in heaven, not even the son during a state of humiliation, uh, but only the father, you know, so, um, so the question is, are we ready for when he returns? And um, yeah, I guess just, just thinking about um, being prepared for that. I, well, and you had already mentioned that, Mike. Uh, how are you prepared? Well, you're prepared through faith. It's your faith in your Savior that, that makes you ready for his return. Um, I've always thought about this. 
Um, you know, what happens if I'm sinning when Jesus returns, right? When the thief comes, you know, so to speak. Um, does that mean that I that I'm out of heaven, you know, because I'm sinning? I mean, the one time that I should be faithful and I should be doing godly things, um, I'm not in the middle of a church service praying or I'm not singing hymns. Um, I'm not telling somebody about the gospel, but um, I don't know. I just punched an old lady in the nose or something, which hopefully I would never do. But with some kind of sin, right? Maybe she was really annoying you. Well, right. right. Um, well, I, I was just going to say, the, I, I was always, I remember a teacher always telling us, the odds are very good that you will be sinning when Jesus returns. Yes, exactly. And so we're not saved through our works so that we're doing good works when Jesus returns. We're saved through the faith that connects us to Jesus who never did sin and we're covered in his righteousness. So um, so Jesus never sees those sins. It, it's astounding to think about. Um, and isn't that the very reason why we wouldn't want to be sinning when Jesus returns? What you were just talking about, John, uh, it, this is going to go on a side note, but uh, reminded me of discussions I've had with uh, seventh and eighth graders, teens and adults when it comes to suicide. They'll often ask, well, can someone who committed suicide go to heaven? And what do you guys say with that? I'll give you my reason of why I brought it up here with this discussion, but I want to see what you guys have said about a suicide victim, or not a suicide victim, but someone who has taken his life. Jeremy. Uh, it, I, it's really interesting that you bring, I never thought of it with this concept of be dressed and ready for service in the context of like applying that to, or rather applying suicide to this passage uh, I think that there is something to be said here. Um, if you're asking for my gut response, uh, I usually go in some direction like, and this does come up a lot with high schoolers. They ask a lot about that. Mm. Um, uh, why would you want to risk it? Like, let, let, I can't say from scripture definitively, yes, a suicide person definitely goes to hell or uh, yes, a suicide person is definitely saved. But I think that silence that the Holy Spirit uh, has on this topic in, in Scripture uh, kind of should leave you wondering, uh, well, if it's uncertain that I might go to hell or I might go to heaven, let's not let's not even take the risk. And uh, and finally, it's it's that when the, we say Thou, uh, you shall not murder, that includes yourself. So just don't do it. Okay, John. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, ditto to those remarks, Jeremy. Um, one of the one of the things that has always comforted me with regard to suicide, and I, I try to tell people about this, is um, if someone commits suicide, that is not something that keeps them out of heaven. There is one thing and only one thing that will keep a person out of heaven, and that's a lack of faith in Jesus. Um, and similarly, there's only one thing that allows us to go to heaven, sinners though we are, um, even though we've, you know, hated, right? Even though we've murdered, because Jesus, you know, the scriptures say that that's as bad as murder, is hatred. Um, it's simply through faith in Jesus that, that we're accepted into heaven. And so, um, and this is, this is what's kind of interesting, too. Um, 
when you take when you really think about that, um, it is there is nothing that you or I could do um, that could keep us out of heaven. There's nothing that you or I could do um, that makes us worthy for heaven. It's simply through faith that that we are deemed worthy. Right. So our salvation has nothing to do with our good works or our evil works. It has everything to do with what Christ did. The reason I brought this up is that is what you were saying, John, about dying while uh, dying while you were sinning. And, you know, when these questions come up in the class, then uh, I'll ask people, well, why do you think that that person's in hell? And a lot of times the answer will be because he didn't have the chance to repent. And, you know, maybe he shot himself. And, and so now he didn't have the chance to repent. I said, yeah, but what if you just went home from, you're just going home from church and you're yelling at one of your family members when you get sideswiped going through an intersection, you were just sinning. You didn't have a chance to repent. Does that mean logically that you're in the same situation as someone who committed suicide? And they go, oh, well, maybe that's not it. And I said, yeah, we, like Jeremy said, there's a pretty good chance we're going to always be sinning when we're when we die. Uh, but I I explained we also live in a state of grace. We're always forgiven through faith in Christ. Uh, and just to build on what you said before, John, what I teach about this then is it's not an it's not a lack of faith because the lack means there's still faith there in the way I. I teach it there's still some faith because a lot of us are lacking faith and that's why we become depressed uh i was just talking with some pastors last night great pastors and yet they suffered depression and wondering about how how to go through ministry and those guys talked about how they had that lack of faith but they needed to hear specifically one of them jeremy uh you know your your good friend and and professor deutschlander uh, one pastor said, I needed to be at Pastor Deutschlander's funeral and hear that specific sermon. And one pastor said, I needed to hear this other brother who was going through depression to hear the gospel message. But there's that lack of faith and all of us do that too. But that's different than having an absence of faith where there is no faith. So what I teach then is if there's that lack of faith, but there's still uh, that kernel of faith. There's still that mustard seed of faith. Like you said, John, Jesus is taking you home to heaven. But when there's an absence, there is no faith at all, then that's when you have deemed yourself worthy of hell. So, Yeah, and, and I might even add, you know, there's, when you're talking about uh, suicide and, you know, somebody's mental state um, that that would lead to that. Uh, there's a lot of questions, you know, that that we might have for that. And um, just because you have mental illness or mental issues doesn't mean there's there's no faith there for sure. Uh, the one thing that was encouraging to me uh, when we were taught this at seminary, Mike, and you remember this, is uh, if someone is regularly going to worship and you know regularly hearing the gospel and and showing it um, by their Christian life, not a perfect life, clearly, because no one does that except Jesus, but um, but in general, living a Christian life, uh, and then they commit suicide, uh, you would assume that that was uh, 
something that was, you know, abnormal and, and for whatever reason, uh, they made that decision. And that's a sin of weakness, not a sin of unbelief. Um, whereas if an unbeliever who, who clearly denies Jesus um, commits suicide, well, that, that actually is a sin of unbelief. And those are two very different circumstances because it's two very different people, even though the thing that they did is similar. And I think it's important for us as pastors and then for our people that are listening to this to understand the seriousness of this discussion on suicide because we might think, oh, we're in the Christian church. We've got Christian families. We're not going to have to deal with this. And yet, you know, especially after 2020, with everything having to do with COVID and the lockdowns and being separated from people, and now everything having to do with sexual agenda and so forth, the, the young people, are there's just a rash of mental illnesses. And, and now you've got uh, countries... Uh, like the Netherlands and uh, and uh, Sweden and Switzerland and Canada, and we're following in the footsteps of all of those nations of legalizing suicide, uh, assisted suicide. But uh, but what happens is when you say, well, this kind of suicide is fine. You know, if you're hurting, you're depressed. Well, eventually it it goes down to saying any kind of suicide is fine, and. And so we need to be able to minister to our people. And when I talk to my young people, I tell them, uh, you're going to have these feelings or the people around you in your family, your friends, you're going to have these feelings. You, we need to be able to minister to each other with this and don't ever be ashamed to talk about this with people. Um, yeah. Because in fact, one of, one of the kids in our middle school was just talking to my wife the other day that uh, a, sib- a sibling uh, had c- tried to commit suicide and the, the, the student felt guilty because the student did not reach out to a parent or anyone else uh, because that sibling didn't take it seriously. And we should always take these things seriously. And here's just, uh, you might think I, I had this just shaken out of my sleeve, but um, we're going to try to have a counselor, a Christian counselor at, at Living Word on a regular basis. Excuse me, with Christian Family Solutions, but excuse me. Uh, but uh, just in in researching some things, I found out that in 2020, the United States had uh, somewhere around 24,000 homicides, murders. Uh, can you guess how many suicides in the United States that same year, 2020? Double. Exactly right. 47,000, mm. double the amount of suicides as murders. Uh, now, and yet, how often do you hear about suicides and how serious of a problem that is? Yeah. And so what we're talking about here is we have to keep encouraging our people. And it's not just our young people. It's going to be our older people, too, that are going to be down and depressed. And they're going to have these kinds of feelings. And we, to use this text you know, to apply it is we need to do what we can to prepare them to be ready. So maybe an application of being dressed and ready for service might be, uh, please avail yourself of things like counseling or uh, things like, you know, mental health resources um, that, that you, you, emotional intelligence is an important thing to have. And I think avail yourself of it. And then 
for our listeners, encourage your church and school to have this too, because Shoreland has access to Christian Family Solutions, correct, Jeremy? Uh, there are certain programs that, yeah, yeah. That you can get into. And our grade school does too. Uh, our church has not yet, but some of the churches have that opportunity that Christian Family Solutions will have something Going off the top of, it, top of my head is they might be able to say, all right, if your church is paying for it, it's $75. And then there's a fee for the church. What, but the, the key is, uh, I think another way of applying this is, you know, be ready to help those who are suffering and struggling with this. And it's whether it's availing yourself of it. And maybe like, I know myself, I am not a great counselor for these things, but to maybe become knowledgeable, but especially to be able to say, all right, here's someone to go talk to. So here's a Christian counselor, you know, at Living Word. And that's why Living Word, and I know a number of our other Wells churches are uh, are trying to seek a way to have a, a counselor right there on campus. So last question I have on this text, but we can keep going wherever you guys want to go. Uh, Jeremy, many modern churches are intent on helping their members live well in the world. But what did Jesus' words teach us about the purpose of God's church? That uh, we are to be thankful for God's gift that comes in the next life. Uh, as wonderful as earthly gifts may be, his redemption is the most important. Okay. Anything else you guys want to talk about with this text? Okay. So, Jeremy, you want to read the second reading from Revelation 22? Revelation 22, verses 6 to 13. The angel said to me, that's the Apostle John, These words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And look, I am coming soon. Now Jesus is talking. Blessed is the one who holds on to the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I bowed down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and also with those who hold on to the words of this book. Worship God. The angel also said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let the one who is unjust continue to be unjust. Let the one who is filthy continue to be filthy. Let the one who is just continue to do what is just. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each one according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So, John, uh, this is taken from Revelation 22. So the last book of the, the last chapter, the last book that we have in our Bibles. And a lot of people find the book of Revelation to be scary. What comfort can we receive from the words that these things must take place? Yeah, it's it's interesting because if you look at Revelation, there's all kinds of scary visions in there um and of course all kinds of people come up with different interpretations of them but but uh i remember having a 
someone in Nebraska, uh, a non-member who, who didn't want to go into any other book in the Bible, but only wanted to go through Revelation. And that was, so I was thinking, okay, an instruction class and, the, you know, using only the book of Revelation. I thought, actually, that's not even a terrible idea because everything in Revelation is taken from other sections of the scripture. There's really nothing different in Revelation. It's just, it's just putting fantastical apocalyptic pictures to the words that have already been spoken in the Old and New Testaments. So um, really, I mean, the purpose of it is going to say, or, or Jesus is saying, your life is going to be hard because you're a Christian in a very unchristian world. And yet, even through all of that difficulty, even as uh, there's going to be a war over your soul during your life, and you're going to fall down many times, and you're going to fail as a sinner, yet you are forgiven in Christ, and you know that you have dipped your, your robe in the blood of the Lamb, and you know that eventually he will take you out of this veil of tears, and, and you will be with him forever, and he's coming soon. Uh, so so um, this must happen. Why? Because Jesus says it must happen, and it's just, it's actually that simple. On Tuesday, the apologetics lesson I gave to my eighth graders was they had to work with a classmate as we were studying uh, the example of Hannah having difficulty getting pregnant and then praying to the Lord and God blessed her with Samuel. But they were to work with the student on giving a presentation in front of class of ministering to a, a family, a couple, where they had to, uh, they're either getting, having trouble getting pregnant or they had suffered a miscarriage or their infant had died shortly after birth. And it was interesting how often in these presentations, the, the students, their comfort was God is in control. You know, because there's, there's Bible verses that they used, and that was fantastic. But they just kept coming back to the fact, God is with you. God is in control. Uh, when they got off on, you know, and I had to correct them and say, well, don't say, well, God kept you from doing this, or maybe... You know, you can go and talk about, well, maybe this might happen, but the best thing is just to say, God is in control. Just remind them of that. And God is with you. Uh, and that's what this is saying here too. Jeremy, John is to share the words of this book with people and not seal up the words. What effect should these words have on non-Christians and unbelievers? Uh, they should be words of warning really for either one Christians who still have a sinful flesh that they're struggling against and that needs to get beaten down. Uh, non, non-believers uh, need to take them seriously as well. Um, I, and then the words of comfort uh, that you pointed out and that uh, you can find all over the place in this section should also bring encouragement to the, the both, uh, hopefully the, unbelievers to bring them to faith and Christians to strengthen their faith. So to apply this, I think there's a lot of Christians that are kind of depressed after maybe the election results nationwide last week is because it seemed to be a vote for things continuing the way they are with more abortions, more transgender changes, uh, more focus on racism and so forth. And yet, this is a tough, tough thing, but for you guys, either one of you guys to touch on this is what do these words say as comfort 
to Christians as they see these things going on in our culture and continuing to go on and get worse? Well, I, I guess what I always look at this is um, it sure does seem like, like Jesus has kind of forgotten us. And you can, you can feel that way too. When you, when you look at, I don't know, just uh, someone who falls into the hands of, of, Islamic terrorists and they get beheaded on, on television, right? Um, you just think, wow, does God see what's happening here? Or just in your own personal life, does God really know what's happening? Um, he, he does. He never promised to make this world a good place um, or even an easy place to live in. What he said is that I'm your strength when you live through this world um, and trust in me and I'll, I'll bring you through to the other side, which is heaven. And that's um, just like Jeremy was saying, you just keep your eyes focused on your savior and on the heaven that awaits us. And, uh, and when Jesus says something, we know it has to be true. He said he promised he was going to rise from the dead and he kept that promise. So we know everything else he says is trustworthy. And I guess I would talk to people and say, yeah, but what are you looking for? What are you putting your trust in? I think a lot of times we put our trust on that, that one Tuesday. Say, all right, now we have the right politicians in place. We're going to get the right people in the right place in the government. We're going to have the right judges and whatever. And now we're done. But that's not the way things work, not in God's kingdom. I, you know, I would remind them. If you want lives to be changed and you want actions to be changed, that means you need to change hearts. And that doesn't happen through laws or politicians or the government. That happens through hard work of the gospel followed, uh, that's following the law. Uh, it's going to take effort. And that means it doesn't happen uh, by drawing a line in the voting booth or pushing a button. It happens by getting off your couch, putting down your phone, uh, maybe having to take time away from your family and recreation and getting out and sharing the gospel. And that's the, that's the kind of hard work that we don't really always want to do. We'd rather become apathetic and really kind of pathetic, lukewarm Christians. Uh, John, Revelation 22 contains the last words of the angel John and Jesus. What were the angel's last words and how were those words comforting to us? Um, well, you so he's saying, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Um, and then he talks about, you know, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Um, I mean, that just tells us things will continue in this world as they are, as they go, just as they always have. Um, those who are not on the side of Christ will continue to live vile, unholy lives. Uh, those who are on the side of Christ, even though we sin, we will be showing the light that is within us because God gave us that light, right? And we're going to be living um, for him and not for us. Yeah, we can't be so disheartened by the, the way unbelievers are because they're only acting the way unbelievers can act. Uh, and so we, but we then encourage Christians to live a Christ-like life. Uh, last question I have for you, Jeremy, then what are Jesus' last words and how are those words comforting to us as Christians? 
Look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each one according to what he has done. Uh, God sees your good deeds and uh, they will not go unrewarded. Um, it, it's important to note he doesn't say I'll repay each one because of what he has done. That is very important. Uh, but uh, God is a God who is so generous. He likes to reward even our good deeds that we couldn't have done without him anyway. Um, and then uh, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Uh, so he has all of the topics in the encyclopedia covered. He is an expert on all of them. And uh, any question you might have, uh, he's going to be able to answer. And any problem you have, he's going to sooner or later solve. So uh, there's a lot of comfort in that. To build on that, I think that's an important uh, little word choice that you use, Jeremy. Can you build on that of what you mean by uh, Jesus saying according to what he has done instead of because of what he has done? So there are lots of passages in the Bible that talk about God rewarding our good deeds. And uh, I think sometimes people, uh, Lutherans, get a little bit hyper-focused on well, they, they don't want to talk about those rewards that God does talk about because that might confuse people about how you get into heaven. But God is not talking about getting into heaven. He's not talking about how you receive eternal life. He's talking about the fact that he is just so generous that he wants to give gifts on top of eternal life. Uh, and, and Jesus actually talks about that happening already in this life, that he uh, you'll if you give up uh, your your family, your property, your uh, all of these things uh, for the sake of the gospel, you will not fail to receive uh, twice as much in this life and in the next life. Um, it's it's not. I, I've, dera I've derailed my thought process here. Well, it, to, um, to build on, you know to build on that too, I I appreciate that because you know I've listened to you to talk on these podcasts and, and I changed uh, the way I talked last night in my adult confirmation class as we were talking about death and judgment day. And uh, I was talking about the book of life and I said, well, in the book of life is your name. And then I would have left it at that and saying, well, Jesus has erased everything that you've done wrong. It's erased by his blood. But then building on what I've learned from you, Jeremy is to say, but he also does, you know, for the for the unbeliever, he's he does count off and and say to everyone, you and everyone there, you are rightly judged to go to hell because of your lack, your absence of faith in Jesus. And so now you have all of these deeds, and he lifts them off one by one of everything you've ever done wrong. You're deserving of hell. For us, it's our name. But then he lists all of the things, and you learn about that too in Matthew 25, about the sheep and the goats, where Jesus does list off all the things that we've done through faith in him. But he says in that parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus, when do we do that? I didn't even, I didn't even know when we did that. And Jesus says that that's the key. Is like you said, Jeremy, it's not because you did these things that you're going to heaven. It's because you're going to heaven according to that faith. Now, these are the things you just did. And 
and that's a wonderful thing too of Jesus saying to in heaven to us and to all those the rest of the saints and his angels hey rejoice with me look at what my servant has done and look at how well he's done these things or she's done them and then to tie it in with the gospel lesson and now he or she is no longer a servant he or she is a child and seated at my banquet feast yeah i wouldn't mind even adding to that you know there are there are plenty of places in scripture where it says that we're saved through faith alone in Christ alone. Um, but there are plenty of places where it says um, that believers do good works. Right. And in fact, really, when you, when you think about it, who are the only people who can do good works? Christians. So the Bible can, can either talk about a Christian from the inside where God can see the faith and says we're saved through faith, or uh, the Bible can look at a Christian from the outside and see the evidence of the faith that's in their heart. So you should be seeing good works in a Christian's life. And those who are doing good works will be saved because only Christians can be saved, but it's not the good works that save them. It's always the faith. It's through the faith that they're saved. Yeah, so that always helped me a little bit. You know, it's just, it's it's a different perspective. And when you're mentioning Matthew 25, it doesn't mention anything about being saved through faith there. Right? It just talks about the evidence of faith in that right. section. Yeah. So you have to let the all of God's word speak on the topic. Anything else you guys want to talk about with these texts? No. Nope. Maybe one at the, that last, that very last verse. Um I, you know, Jesus says this, right? He's speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Um, that's a that's a proof of the Trinity there, because in the in just one chapter earlier, it's God the Father, the one at the center of the throne, who says the same thing. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And so it's just, it's a proof that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are the same being, but separate persons. Um, it's just kind of fun when you can just see those um, show themselves for that. Um, and um, I don't know, you look at life and you look at um, all the stuff in between of, of you know, when we, when we live and when we die. But um, for believers, he chose us from eternity to be in heaven. That's the first time that that he loved us because it's from eternity, which means he's always loved us. Um, but then he's also the last, right? He's going to bring us to heaven. So he's the perfecter of our faith also. So from beginning to end, God has us in his hands and he's not letting us go. And heaven is assured to us. And now we get to live our life. Even if it's a tough life, it's still a blessed life. And I taught this the other day. Uh, when we were talking about Judgment Day, and we are talking about our bodies being changed, coming out of the grave. First Thessalonians 4, Jesus comes down, uh, that there is the trumpet call of God, the voice of the archangel, that the dead in Christ will come out of their graves, rise up to be, meet with the Lord in the air, and then the rest of those who are living are coming up. And they said, and it says in Scripture, this will happen like a, as fast as a lightning bolt. It will happen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, in the twinkling of an eye, and explained, well, how does all that happen that fast is 
it's not, I, I think it's time stops that the, the beginning and the end, Jesus is there in the beginning before there was time. And then he starts time and then he's there at the end and he stops time. And now it's eternity and just how that we can't even begin to have a concept of what it means to now live for eternity without time. So yeah, that's a neat way of looking at it. I like it. All right. And then we'll wrap it up here. So I know from going to school with John and going on DuraClean, which is we would go late at night and clean floors of stores that John's a big rock and roll fan. So uh, this is Michael Zarling with John Borgward and Lightning Strikes Twice by Iron Maiden. Uh, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. <laughs>